If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Exodus. Exodus, as you're turning there, just that second book in the Bible. And uh, we're beginning today to study uh, the attributes of God, specifically the first attribute we're going to cover today, who our God is, what He's like. And uh, we've discovered He can be known. And we know that we can study Him by looking in His Word and examining the testimony of His works. And we can know Him as He is. And today we're going to be studying an attribute of God called His self-existence. Hopefully you pull out the uh, memory card from today, week 4. And so this week you can meditate on the scripture there from Exodus chapter 3. And think about what we're going to discuss here this morning. And before we uh, get into chapter 3 of Exodus, I I do want to just pause for a moment. I need everyone listening carefully now. This is going to be a very deep question, a very deep philosophical question this morning. I want you to be able to think about this. So ready? Here's the question. Ready? How are you? How are you this morning? I know it's a common question. You may have asked somebody that in Sunday school or when you met them in greeting time just a moment. You may have asked someone, hey, how are you? Uh, you may have been asked that question. And you may have responded when you were asked that question, I am good. I'm okay. I, I, I'm fine. I'm peachy keen. Maybe you. The, the whole question of our state of being. I know it's a common question. We don't think about philosophically what we're talking about in that moment. The critical concept, our essence to be or not to be. That is the question, right? But when you use those words, how are, is, was, has been, will be. All of those relate to your essence, your state of being. Now, some question, what is, is, well... That's a whole other philosophical question. But when we look at the person beside us and we ask them, how are you? They tell us something about their state of being. Now listen carefully. In the created order, we like to talk about our being. But the reality is we are not in a state of being. We are not in a permanent state of being. We're in a state of becoming. Think about this for a moment. Are you the same today as you were yesterday? No. No. We're a day older. Some of us are a pound or two heavier. Right? Are you the same as you were five years ago? Oh, no. Our hair is a lot grayer. And we're more than 10 pounds. Oh, never mind. All right? Are you the same today as you will be in 10 years? Oh, no. No. You see, we are not in a permanent state of being. We are in a state of becoming. We are changing. Heraclitus, the philosopher, once said that the same, you can't step into into the same river twice. Life is always changing, and so are you, and so am I. We are human beings. You know, there's angels, there's fallen angels called demons. They're spiritual beings. But there's only one supreme being. That's God. But here's the amazing thing. He is in a constant state of being, a consistent state of being, an unchanging state of being. I told you this was going to be deep. (laughs) This is the attributes of God. It should be deep. Amen? I mean, when you stop and think about it, we're talking about an awesome God. Uh, uh, Now, that should be when we come into the presence 
of an awesome God that's so much higher than anything you and I can even conceive of. We, we can't put him in a nice little box unless you've tried. You can't. We, we can't limit ourselves in our understanding of him. The problem is you and I as human beings, we look at the natural world around us. We see the plant life. We see some beings just a little bit higher than them. They're called animals, you know, the rhinoceros and the giraffe and your precious little Yorkie, right? Uh, then there's the humans. We're higher than the animals. Though, listen, in our culture, they think we came from the animals. No, we're not. Uh, we're a little lower than the angels, the psalmist would say. They're a little higher than us in a sense. The cherubim, the seraphim, the angels. And then there is the supreme being, God. That's how we tear it. We think about it that way. But the amazing thing when you stop and think about that is all of those beings aren't the same thing. The, the supreme being gives being to the others because he is being. He's not, we're not, you know, like the ancient philosophers, philosophers used to think in this tiered system. He's the RK being, the highest being, and we're just one of many in that long list of, uh, uh, of hierarchy. No, no, no. God is unlike us. He, he isn't like all of the created order. He's the source of being. And we, listen, we need to know him as he is. And if we'll listen to Lady Wisdom inclining our ears and our hearts and lifting up our voices in understanding and treasuring the search of him, what's amazing is we can understand the fear of the Lord, understand something about how awesome he is. And this is the attribute that we're covering today. It's called the aseity of God. It's the idea, listen, that God is who he is. It's a Greek term that means that his existence originates from and has no other source than himself. In other words, no one made God. God just is. God just was. God will always be. Not like you and not like me. Remember, we're in a state of becoming. And God wants us to become something that we that was lost by the first man, the first woman. And, and all of his work of redemption is about restating us into that place of being with him. Where we enjoy fellowship and shalom with him. But, but this idea of the aseity of God, who God is and what he's like, his essence, listen... It's critical to understanding other attributes that we'll study this year. His self-sufficiency, we'll actually do that one next week. His eternality, his power, his sovereignty. This attribute is critical as the beginning point to know him as he is. And here's the amazing thing. Since God is the source of all being, your being, my being, our reason why we're here, I really can't know who I am till I know who he is. I can't know what my life should be like till I know what his life is like and what he made me for, what he designed me for, how he, why he gave me life. The sad thing is, if we read over in Romans chapter 1, what happens with darkened human hearts is that they exchange the glory of God for the glory of this world. And they reject the creator who made them. And professing to be wise, 
really, they're nothing but fools. You turn to Genesis chapter 1, and you find there that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything was, there was God. He, he, he is the unmoved mover, the first cause, without a cause. He is the one that has always been there and always will be there. Or as it says in the book of Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega. He just is and always shall be. You say it's difficult to believe that. I know it's difficult in, in our current culture to believe that God created all things, gave everything being. You say, how do you believe that? Why do you believe that? It's not hard to believe if you read Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. We by faith believe the testimony of God's word which tells us God created the heavens and the earth. We believe he made it. Ex nihilo. That's a Latin word which means out of nothing. We came from nothing and we became something. Amen. But God has always been. And the amazing thing, you say, well, why aren't we in Genesis chapter 1? Why are we in Exodus chapter 3? Because when God meets Moses and he reveals himself to him in self-disclosure, listen, no one names God. Pharaoh was naming his gods. No one names our God. Our God names himself. And he uses a name and speaks a name to Moses. And it's that name, the I am, the God who is, which highlights his aseity that God is of himself, not formed or fashioned by anyone or anything. And he is the source of all being for everything that is. Now, we don't want to let our familiarity with this story cause us to miss what is significant that what happened. And it's not just that Moses saw a fiery bush that wasn't burning and consumed when it was burned. But no, no, no. That God revealed something about his nature, his essence, and who he is and what he is like, which is critical to our understanding of him. If you'll stand with me and honor the word of the Lord, we just want to read a few verses so we can dive into this chapter this morning. Exodus chapter 3, Moses records that amazing experience that he had. Moses writes, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Father, may we realize that in your presence, it is sacred. Lord, there is something that we should all learn when we hear you speak, when we come into your presence. Lord, may we understand the criticalness of understanding who you are and what you are like. And that, Lord, you are the source of our being, the reason that we're here. 
And Lord, we're not done. You have a work that you're doing in us. God, may we be yielded to that and what you want us to become. And Lord, we were formed, we were fashioned with a purpose that you have. May we be yielded to it today to bring glory and honor to your precious and powerful name. We ask all this in that name, above all names, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God appeared to Moses in this burning bush. The angel of the Lord met him there. And he told him he was going to go to Egypt and liberate, lead the Israelites out of slavery. For 80 years it had been since a little mom put a little baby in a basket and launched him out into some crocodile infested waters. Trusting that there was a God who could protect him. During that time, God's people uh, began to suffer. They were in bondage. They were enslaved. And there rose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And he dealt with the Israelites harshly. In fact, he despised them. And, and as he saw them multiplying, it was his command over earlier in the book of Exodus. Where he said, listen, when those Hebrew, or Hebrew boys are, are born, throw them in the waters. Don't let them survive. God had promised the patriarch Israel that he would deliver his people from this land. But it hadn't happened yet. For 400 years it wouldn't take place until God would bring them out. But it began with this Hebrew boy. One who grew up in Pharaoh's court. One who had received the best education in the land. All the wisdom of Egypt was given to him. But that was an incomplete education. In fact, any education without the knowledge of God is an incomplete education. God had far more to teach this young man. And he had tried to deliver his people. He had seen a Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian. So he killed the oppressor and then was resented by his own people. In fact, he had to flee into the wilderness. He had to flee for his life there into the wasteland. And so for 40 years, he tended another man's flock. Jethro's. He was a free man, but actually he had nowhere to go because he was a wanted man. It was there while he was out shepherding the flock that he happened upon this unusual occurrence. He had been out in the wilderness for a while, always trying to find sustenance for uh, the sheep and, and those that he cared for in the flock. And that's difficult to do in a barren place. But he looked and he saw a bush that was on fire and wasn't consumed. And he said, now this is something unique. So he turned aside. And when he turned aside, he heard the call of God upon him. And who spoke to him? The God who is. The God who is spoke to him. He called to him. And Moses responded. Now stop and think about that. I don't know if you like to trek out in the wilderness any. Uh, I mean, if I heard a voice walking around in the wilderness, uh, I might be startled. How about you? Especially when you've been doing it for 40 years, taking care. And the only sound you usually hear is what? Uh, either the, the, the sheep uh, or the goats or, or, or the cows or something like that. You'd hear animal sounds. But to hear a voice and someone call you by name. Oh, now that should get your attention. And it got Moses' attention. And so he turned aside. And the first thing God reveals, when he reveals he's the God who is, he says to him, do not draw near This place. Keep your distance. And you need to keep your distance. When you realize God is. You remember we have. We have brought him down to our level. Thinking he is like us. A being. He is not like us. 
He is wholly other. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Wholly, completely other than you and me. And we shouldn't treat him, as we learn about his attributes, we shouldn't treat him or project upon him the things that we have experienced as that being who God is. We let God disclose himself to us in his word. And then by faith, we take the testimony of who he is and what he is like, because there's none like him. He must reveal himself to us, and that's what he does to Moses. The amazing thing is he's speaking to people all the time. Do you realize that? We learned that last week in Proverbs chapter 2. Lady Wisdom speaking. She's crying out. Anyone got an ear to hear? Anybody got a heart that wants to hear what God has to say? And he, It's amazing that the God who is so much higher than us, listen, accommodates himself to talk to us, to speak to us. I mean, we need to have a, a right understanding of the reverence of the transcendent God. And yet what is amazing is he speaks to us. He spoke with Adam. I mean, that's how he created Adam, right? For fellowship with him. There in the garden, before the fall, it was his intention to enjoy shalom, wholeness, even though he was wholly other than Adam. God's trying to do that now. To restore what has been lost. Realize he's wholly other. But he's also wholly other, H-O-L-Y. He says to him, take your sandals off your feet. Why? Because the place... That you, where you stand is holy ground. This is sacred ground, Moses. This is holy. This attribute of God, we'll discuss it in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about the holiness of God. And in fact, Moses needs to learn that because God is going to give him the parameters for how to approach a holy God with the temple and, or the tabernacle, ultimately the temple, but also with the sacrifices, a picture really of what's in heaven. And how you approach a holy God. You need to realize the God who is, is holy other and holy other. Separate, sanctified, pure. He's also personal. In fact, it's fascinating. When he spoke to him, not only did he say that the ground is holy, he said to him in verse 6, I am the God of your father, the father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look Upon God. You see, the God who is isn't just holy other, he is holy other, but he also is a covenant maker, one who fellowships with man and promises himself to mankind in some way. He had spoken to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He had given Abraham his word this land is for you and for your descendants, this covenant I'm making with you. Sovereignly, I've picked you out of all the others. I chose you. You didn't choose me. He made, uh, he reaffirmed that covenant with, with Isaac. In fact, he provided a sacrifice for Isaac's place on Mount Moriah. He validated the covenant with Jacob, even though Jacob was faithless. He, God was so patient with him, even when that heel grabbing uh, brother, you know, didn't have faith and was faithless. God was faithful. That's just who he is, the God who is. And in this insignificant place, out in the wilderness, just a mundane place, God manifests himself. The glory of the Lord is there. The angel of the Lord in the bush speaks to Moses and calls him. And God reveals, I am the great I am. The one who holds all things together. Now, what is amazing is what he discloses next. The God who is 
is a God who is at work. Notice verses 7 through 10. Moses, Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. I took in my Bible and I just circled those verbs. In fact, I go down a little bit further in verse 8 there. And I underline this one. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up. From the land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. I underline those verbs because what it's showing me is the God who is is at work. He he's doing something. He his people are in a state of being or becoming that he never intended. He didn't want them in bondage. They need deliverance, and it's only God who can change that. Not just for them, but hey, can I just tell you, for you and me too? You and I, who are in bondage, only God can deliver us from our bondage. And God said He would do that. He promised He would bring them into this land. It would be 400 years, but He would bring them in after the sin of the Amorites had passed. And so, it's, it's God speaking, I have seen, I'm aware This transcendent, holy other source of being knows what's going on in everything that has existence. He's not aloof to what's going on. He's aware. I have seen. By the way, Moses ain't seen nothing, y'all. He's been out in the wilderness for 40 years. I have heard their cries. God understanding the sorrow of his people. Moses hasn't heard anything but bah for 40 years. That's all he's heard. God's heard everything going on. I know. Moses is clueless to what's happening over there in Egypt. I'm sure he's wondered. He's probably had a lot to think about for 40 years, right? But he doesn't have a clue. And I have come down. The best part of God at work. And why has he come down? Because he wants to bring his people up. Bring his people up where? Well, for them, up to a land. A good and large land, a land that flows with milk and honey. And Moses is amazed at this. That God, I mean, I'd be amazed. He spoke my name and he tells me what he's about and he's the God of my fathers. But when he speaks this to him, Moses responds. Verse 9, God, now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, this is what's critical to understand. The God who is, is at work to bring those in bondage to him. Why? What well, says here to bring them so they can worship. That's what we were made for. That's what God's intention in delivering his people was. That they would come to the mountain of God, to this place. And there they would serve him. That they would have fellowship with him. 
He's going to repeat it just a little bit later in this chapter. God, when he speaks to Moses and identifies himself, Moses wants to know, who are you that, that, that you would call me? Who, who am I that you would call me? And God says, I'm about to tell you who I am. And when I reveal myself to you, you are to go and reveal me to others so they can come and worship. His promise to Moses was, I will certainly be with you. I'm going to give you a sign. I am going to bring this to pass. I am going to bring you to this mountain. And that will be confirmation to you when it comes to pass. And Moses said, indeed, verse 13, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, the verse we're memorizing this week, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God, who are you? This isn't just merely what's your name. It's even more than that. It's it's who are you? What's your essence? He's going to reveal his name in in just a moment. This is his name. In fact, it's a memorial name, a a name for all generations that God reveals himself when he uses this name, Yahweh. That mysterious name of of, of four uh, consonants. All capital letters in in the Greek, in the the English right here, oftentimes we won't translate it, but you'll see uh, four capital letters, and and that's because the, the translators wouldn't put Yahweh. It's a, it's a mysterious name for many. And yet, this is the name that demands worship. This is the name that will be worshipped. This is the name when you go over to the book of Revelation, you'll see them worshipping the great I Am. Isn't that what we just sang about? Holy, holy, God Almighty, the great I Am. Who alone is worthy of worship. Why does that name demand worship? Because that name gives existence to everything else. He alone is worthy of worship. Listen, what that means, listen, not just your worship right now for an hour in Sunday worship, but your life and my life is to be a life of worship. Throughout the week, we're to offer up worship to Him. That's more than saying the prayer and saying grace over our meal. It's about the way we conduct ourselves throughout the week. What we offer up ourselves to Him. The God who is to be worshipped is the God who is at work to bring redemption. And the God who is at work to bring redemption is the God who is. The God who gives us being. Essence. In fact, what He wants to do is give us eternal life. In fact, that's the amazing thing, isn't it? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. Right? Who's called us. Right? By glory and virtue. This is the God who exists. Now here's the significance of it. The first significance is God exists. He's there, y'all. He is. He wasn't just there in the the bush. You say, well, I haven't seen any bushes on fire. Yeah, but he's there. And he's not silent, as Francis Schaeffer would say. No, no, no. The question is, am I listening? Lady Wisdom is speaking everywhere, trying to get our attention. At all the crossroads, at all the entry points, everywhere we navigate life, she is speaking to us. Have I inclined my ear to hear what she might have to say? It's not just that he is, God exists, God is, God alone is. There's nothing behind him to his reality. He just is. He's the source behind all of our reality, everything we experience. 
You know, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we, we celebrate life. And what we realize is, you know, life is precious. And a, and a mom and a dad give genes to a baby, and, and that baby is born. And then they raise that child in an environment and, and give them opportunities. And those things shape and influence that child. But when you stop and, and you think about God and you say, well, who made him? No one. In fact, there's no outside forces that shape or mold him. He shapes and molds everything else and influences it. Nobody brought him. No power brought him into existence. He is his existence. And he alone is absolute. He's the first cause that's uncaused. He's the start of all things. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. Here's the amazing thing. He isn't just is. He is always the same. Now, this is going to be significant when we get to the, the attribute of what's called immutability, which means he never changes. And we'll discuss that in several weeks. But over in Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, what's fascinating, despite the disobedience of God's people, despite their faithlessness at many times, despite the judgment that they deserved, even God was faithful and brought them back to the promised land. But there was years of silence. And his last word was to them was, listen, Malachi 3, 6, I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, the significance of his aseity that he just always is, and he just is, and he is always the same as this. It's the grounds for you and I putting our faith and trust in him that he'll keep his word. He'll never change. He's faithful. He's true. Uh, James would say it this way. Hey, where does all the goodness we experience in life come, come from? From a gracious God. From the Father in heaven in whom there's no variance or shifting of shadows. He never changes. Praise God. He's gracious. Amen. Praise God. I never have a question. Will he change in, in his graciousness? No, he won't. He just is gracious. He's the same as the Hebrew writer Paul says what? Yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus he is, and he's the same. And that's good, because you know why? I can testify of him to my descendants. I can tell them of his faithfulness, of his covenant love for me. And I can share with them and encourage them to put their faith and hope and trust in him. That's why he spoke to Moses. Hey, listen, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's going to be, listen, the God of my sons and grandsons and granddaughters and great-granddaughters and great-grandsons and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great. To the thousands is the promise that he gives in Deuteronomy. Praise the Lord. Why wouldn't I worship him? Why wouldn't I serve him? You see, Moses' inquiry is far, about far more than just his name. It's telling something that's about his essential essence. Who he is and what he is like. And I need to know that, and so do you. Because he's the one who gives us essence. He gives us being. Now here's the amazing thing. When Moses spoke with him, he said, I am, and I'm at work, and I'm to be worshipped. It's the same way with Jesus. You see, this is the great part about his aseity. The God who is, and always is, is the God who is known today in Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing. He's drawn near to bring us out of bondage. He's drawn near to save us from our sins. He's drawn near to reveal to us the Father. To show us what God 
is like. And, and as he did that, when he did that, his own did not receive him. But when he spoke to them, particularly the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders over in John chapter 8. He spoke to them about Abraham, their father, that really wasn't their father. But he spoke to him and said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, hold up a second. Wait, wait, wait. You aren't even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was Yahweh, I am. You see, the God who drew near to deliver his people in the Exodus is Jesus who has drawn near to deliver us from the bondage. Yeah, they were in bondage in Pharaoh's land. We're in bondage in this Babylonian world system of our culture and this sinful world. And we need deliverance. And the only way you can get deliverance is from the God who has seen and has heard and has come down to bring us up. It's the same way for them. It's a picture for us. The Exodus is a picture for us. What's fascinating is if you go over and read 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter talks about remembering certain things. He mentions his departure is soon at hand. And he uses that Greek word. He says, my exodus is soon at hand. Hey, I can't wait for my exodus. Amen. And I know I'm going up because he came down to save me from my sins. Who did? The great I am. Jesus. And he came. Even though he's holy other, even though he is holy and I'm not, he made a way for deliverance to take place. And everything I'm going to know about him is based on this one thing. He is. He is the great I am. And shall always be that way. I mean, there's so much more that could be said. We could run through the prophets and see time and time again how he speaks about how he can tell the beginning to the end and everything in between because he sees it all. He talks about his sovereignty, his eternality, his, his power. And all of it is based, rooted in the fact that God just is. The amazing thing is we fill in the blank all throughout this year asking questions about who God is and what he's like. And he discloses himself. You must remind yourself. I must remind ourselves that this isn't some hierarchy of being. And he's just the pinnacle. He's just the highest one. No, no, no. He's holy other. We don't project upon him what we think he should be like. He defines who he is and what he is like. And that definition, his self-definition, is found in the word of God. Not my opinion, nor yours. Not somebody's survey. Not what contemporary culture, Christian culture wants to say. No, it's what the word of of God says and our faith comes by hearing that word and choosing to believe it and the question is do I acknowledge him for who he is who he has revealed himself to be and what he has commanded me to do because I wouldn't be here without him and neither would you and anything and everything that you and I are is just by his grace because he's gracious why wouldn't I want to know him? Why wouldn't I want to go up from this place? I'm looking forward to it. Amen. The amazing thing is I have to acknowledge that. I have to surrender to that. It's the fool who says in his heart, oh, there is no God. Oh, there's no God who made all things. 
And sadly, they're foolish. But it takes a heart that'll bend and surrender and acknowledge. By the way, if you go read in the book of Revelation, what's fascinating there, over in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, when you examine the music, the songs that are sung in heaven by those gathered around the throne, the things that they celebrate are just a picture of authentic worship as the psalmist David declared over in Psalm 100. When the people of God are in the presence of God, they affirm three things particularly about God, which are reflected right there in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. He is. Not only He is, He was, He is, and He shall always be. He is essence. He is Yahweh. He's also holy and he's also almighty. Those things are affirmed. What's fascinating is that song they sing over in Revelation chapter 4. You are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. Why? For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Do you worship him like that? That there is no other but him? High, exalted, magnified. The, the source of your life. Because we need to recognize that. We've sung it. We've sung many songs celebrating that earlier. But do you sing that in your life day by day? I recognize everything that I am is because of you. And for you. And to be for your glory. Church, we need to recapture that vision of who he is. And his aseity. Now you don't have to say that with me. But it's very simple. And it's a deep philosophical concept. But it's not just, how are you today? How are you in his eyes? How are you in his presence before him? Because he sees right through us. I can tell you how I am and, and snow you, right? You can tell me, oh, I'm fine, preacher. And you're torn up on the inside. Here's the amazing thing. We can't fool him. He knows how we are. And he knows whether we are where we need to be or not. And the amazing thing is he wants everyone in this room to experience the shalom, the wholeness of being right with him in their being. And he graciously and mercifully makes it possible. But you have to come by faith. And you have to believe his testimony of who he is. And you have to say, I need it. Is that you today? Have you come to the one who came down, Jesus? Jesus.